Hello, and welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story podcast, produced by ED Media. Today's story is from the best-selling novel, Journey to the Kingdom of Soul, written by author Everlast. Chapter 6. To appease the noble citizens of industry land, Timu's order to feast be enjoyed by all of his loyal followers. Before they pack up the large city and go out on Timu's aggressive takeover of Muzina. The industrial castle main hall was large enough to fit up to 1,000 people in it. Equipped with rows of tables, covered in crisp white cloth tables. With each set up to seat 10 grown people and 2 children. A band played only industrialized rhythms from the melodies of domination, and plenty of room in the aisles so the help could get around, making the hall grand in its look and feel on this special day. Now that Timu's followers helped him secure a great victory, they were rewarded for their assistance with plenty of food and drink. Only industry lands governmental elite, high-ranking military officers and members of the socialist society's country folk of high standards were invited to the feast. Otherwise, the working class, soldiers, and industry land slaves were allowed to celebrate in the main courtyard and the streets. Inside and outside of the hall the atmosphere was festive and full of ease. A tone that was not allowed in industry land on a daily basis. Industry land was all about work, morning, noon, and night to satisfy their ruler's thirst to collect the souls of the followers of High Hop. Their blood, sweat, and tears are what allowed the devoted followers of Timu's and his industrializing the world doctrine to live comfortably, and it showed at today's celebration. Off to the side of the hall ten tables were packed to capacity with food from all sectors of the food chain. The elite dinned on dodo bird, duck, ostrich, steamed six-foot-long snakes, roasted pig, freshly picked vegetables, and hot breads baked with goat cheese. The drinks were plentiful and flowed with ease. The help were instructed to keep the wine pitchers on the tables full at all times, and the guests were free to drink as much as they liked. A four-foot platform, at the front of the hall, is where the exclusive members of industry land sat on top of the platform sat one straight line of tables, laced with a silk-red tablecloth. Food, flowers, candles, and drinks were spread out nicely for the elite to dine freely. Timus blessed the table with his presence at the center of it. Even though he would rather be in his cool chamber, Timus blocked the relaxing thought out of his mind and let his dark eyes roam around the hall. Major Zor sat on his leader's right-hand side, with one of industry land's socialites that he would forget about after tonight's events. She only spoke to Zor when spoken to. Even though Trina was popular amongst the underlinings of the city, none of that mattered when you were in the presence of Timu's, Major Zor, and Governor Solomon, who sat on Timu's left side with his wife Deborah for his date. Governor Solomon was a short round man who wore thick glasses, and was the lead architect in writing the language for the government rules of conduct for the scared people of industry land. His salt and pepper hair was balding in the center of his pale white head. Solomon's daily focus revolved around how many ways he could make Timu's happy, and how divine his wardrobe must be. Deborah, the governor's wife, like her husband, paid full attention to her wardrobe. Pleasing Timu's and trying to stay alive under the daily pressures of being in the government was a full-time job. Deborah was five inches taller than her five-foot-tall husband, and at the tender age of 55, she continued to maintain her slim build well. Deborah was a flaunter who always showed off the heavy jewelry her husband furnished her with. Deborah was one of the best-dressed women in the city always wearing the loosely flowing gown, which were produced with the silkiest fabric so not to irritate her milky white skin. Deborah was only attracted to Solomon's powerful position, which showed every time she was allowed in Timu's presence. 
Deborah usually used these rare moments to smoothly throw herself at their ruler, but not too aggressively where it put a blemish on her gold record of being a woman of an exquisite manner. Honey, you have not touched your turtle soup, Solomon said. His wife's attention had been wandering past him all night, and he could sense what she was up to. Deborah, did you hear me? Huh? What's that, dear? Deborah asked, snapping out of her trance. I said you haven't touched your soup. Is it not up to your standards? Would you like something else? Maybe something more. Unique? Solomon asked. I, uh, no, I'm fine. Deborah stumbled over her words. I'm just enjoying the dance, she lied. Deborah turned her focus to the dance floor where an array of attendees were engaged in an industry land favorite dance called the swing. T. Moose was not much of a socializer but he knew his presence was needed at this event. He sat back in his maplewood throne, which was draped in red and black fabric made of chenille. T. Moose's black hood came down low on his eyes so people could not tell if he was resting or enjoying the festivities. Either way T. Moose did not care, as long as no one in the hall disturbed the serenading ballad being sung by the most beautiful voice in Industryland, Nippoli. T. Moose was well aware of Deborah's constant staring. It never bothered him, because he was used to people staring at him. Being the brutal ruler of such a large city, T. Moose had the option to pick through the litter of wives who always threw themselves at him. However, none of that mattered to T. Moose when Nippoli sung in his presence. Would you like for me to have her sent up to your chamber? Major Zor asked, following the direction of his leader's line of vision. T. Moose stared at Nippoli's milky brown skin glistening under the bright lights. She stood in the middle of the hall's dance floor and let her voice carry out into the courtyard. Her voice was hitting nerves inside of T. Moose's body. He had to have her to himself later. Yes, T. Moose said without taking his eyes off of the songbird. I will take care of it, Your Excellency. Major Zor said, causing Solomon to silently curse himself for not thinking of the idea first. The government system T. Moose put in place gave the people of industry land a sense of being part of a free society. Government officials were paraded around the city as the ones who make the laws and calls the army off to war. What the people didn't know was T. Moose made every decision concerning the development of industry land. All laws, rituals, traditions, and calls for war were made by T. Moose and the gods of force which were then were relayed to Major Zor and Solomon. They in turn fed the orders of the day to the other government officials. All are to do what they are told, or suffer dire consequences. The government is chaired by Solomon and the army is led by Major Zor. Even though the two parts of the industry land system had two powerful structures functioning under Timu's guidance, there still was a rivalry silently battled between Major Zor and Solomon. With the latter always jockeying for Timu's recognition. Major Zor smirked when he looked past Timu's and noticed the disapproving frown on Solomon's face. Solomon might be the most powerful mortal man in industry land, but what he failed to realize is Timu's did not care about the government and its officials. The government was Timu's puppet and would never be more than that. The army was Timu's muscle. The industry army were the ones who went to battle for him whenever he called on them to do so. This made him hold them in a higher regard than the other mortals in his city. Solomon regrouped, then tried to show Zor he could do better than the little display of kissing up he did, Your Excellency, all of your plans are in place, just as you asked them to be and I have taken the liberty of hand picking the best stone and granite workers myself for the journey. Timus was lost in Nippoli's words. Whatever Solomon was talking about was unimportant to Timus.
Nippily sang, I swing, for thee, what you ask for me, if I care to dream, what you say for me, it's all there to see, let's go take the seeds, a page that's all a scene. Timu sat there questioning himself about what it was Nippily was trying to say right now. Is she talking to me directly or is she just singing a song? He asked himself, this while his eyes stayed locked onto her body movements. She is sexy Timu said to himself. Nippily continued, come and take from me, you can have the cream, the signs, can you read, it's not all a dream. Her voice had Timu's hypnotized. Nippily was the only person in Musina who ever held his attention in such a fashion, and he liked it. No one should have so much power over the ruler of the strongest land in the world. As Nippily sang, the crowd of people on the dance floor moved in unison with the rhythm of the beat and her mesmerizing voice. Even in a dark city like Industry Land, the coordination of the people was a work of art. And I also handpicked the best musicians, Timus heard Solomon say. Yes. The musicians are supposed to be a complement for the industry for travel, Timus said. Anything dealing with music caught his ear whenever Nippoli performed. Feeling the response from his master, Solomon got a new surge of energy, and we will take the best singers. What do you mean we? Timus asked, shooting the look of death at Solomon as he snapped out of his trance. I'm. I, I'm sorry your excellency. I thought you would want me to go on. No one from the high government is to leave industry land. Is that understood? Timu said in a tone that was far from a question. Ye, yes your excellency, Solomon said and kept his mouth closed until Timu's was ready for him to talk again. Upsetting Timu's was an easy thing to do. Solomon was a witness to what was done to those who upset the supreme leader of Industryland, and it wasn't a pretty sight. You will remain the administrative body until I return, Timu said, turning his attention back to the night's entertainment. The main course your excellency, a waiter said as he leaned in between Timu's and Solomon. Solomon knew Timu's would ignore the waiter, so he used this opportunity to restore a piece of dignity for himself to whomever was in earshot of him receiving the tongue lashing from Timu's. Yes. Put them down. And make sure you bring a fresh pot of wine and cakes. Solomon ordered. Deborah rolled her eyes at her husband's hollow attempt at dictating the service at the executive table. A plate of roasted python was placed on the table, along with fresh wine and dough cakes. Deborah picked at her plate as she consumed glass after glass of wine. Solomon on the other hand had no problems digging into his roasted python. Timu's plate sat untouched, while his eyes stayed locked on the action on the dance floor. He felt his inner arousal begin to take shape, and without warning Timu's rose from his seat. Major Zor, I expect my company within ten minutes, he said, and then walked away with two of his personal knight's men. Major Zor stopped eating long enough to give one of his message men the order to have Nippoli brought up to Timu's chamber. Then the major turned back to his meal. The soldier walked across the dance floor, ignoring the questioning eyes that followed him. Nippoli saw Timu's leave his seat and immediately knew why the soldier was approaching her on the dance floor. Knowing she would have to cut her performance short, Nippoli began to wind down the song as the soldier leaned in and spoke into her ear, Your Excellency would like to see you in his chambers. He stepped back and waited without saying another word. Nippoli finished her rendition, then gave the band the signal to continue on with a solid rhythmic sound that the people could continue to enjoy. Many were not too happy about Nippoli being escorted out of the hall in the middle of her performance, but they all knew it was for a private show for Timu's. No one would voice their opinion about that, 
running the risk of being heard and disciplined. At the executive table, Deborah sucked her teeth, causing Solomon to quickly look over to her, Is there something wrong Deborah? She looked at him with her drunken stare and said, Yes, there is something wrong. I'm ready to leave, Deborah snapped. But the night is still young, Solomon whined, with a piece of dough in one hand and a glass of wine in the other. Major Zor couldn't believe how soft Solomon was. Especially when it came to controlling Deborah. Zor shook his head in disgust and felt a wave of relief that he wasn't married. He felt that marrying a woman gave her too much power. This is why women never lasted longer than two dates with the major. And you're not. Deborah said aiming at the governor's age. Now, are you going to take me home or do I have to find another escort? She asked with a slight slur. Zor knew this would be the moment where he would show her who the man of the house is but not Solomon. Okay, okay, he said in frustration, before stuffing his face with the last piece of dough cake. Deborah always found a way to make a scene whenever they were out enjoying a festive night. Solomon then stood up and helped his drunk wife out of her chair. I can walk damn it, Deborah snapped as she swatted his hand. She lost her balance in the process and almost fell on a council member who was sitting next to her. Solomon caught his wife at an awkward spot on her poplin dress and the soft fabric ripped. Ah, Deborah cried out, as she fell into the council member lap. The shoulder portion of her dress tore down to her right breast revealing her nakedness. You idiot. Look what you've done. I'm sorry honey. Come, let's get you out of here. Solomon fumbled with his wife trying to grab her arm. Deborah snapped, don't touch me. She stood up, with the councilman's help and she quickly stomped off toward the exit. Solomon looked around to see who was watching the spectacle he and his wife just put on. The majority of the diners were too busy enjoying their food, drink, and music to worry about another humiliating display by the head of the governor's classless wife. I'm sorry. Please excuse us, he said, trying to follow his wife out of the hall, but was stopped short by Zor. Why don't you let her accompany the procession to the kingdom of Seoul? Zor asked. Solomon stared at Zor, then looked around to see who was listening to their conversation. Why would I do that? Because... Maybe you will be able to rule industry land in Timu's absence much better, without having to take care of someone that doesn't care if you exist, Zor said with a sinister smirk on his face. Solomon knew Zor had a trick up his sleeve. That would be like you helping me out now, wouldn't it? If you want to believe that, then yes. My only concern is the well-being of industry land in Timu's absence. As long as you and everyone else that is left behind can competently control the city— I have no questions about your household, Zor said low enough for only Solomon to hear. But if you feel like you will have too much on your plate governing the city and trying to control your wife, then why not send her on the trip? Solomon felt Zor was trying to question his manhood. I know what you're up to Zor, and I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of telling Timus you are a better fit for my position. Now why would I want to do that? Zor asked with the same smirk on his face. We both know you can govern the city better than me. I was just making a suggestion about how you can finally give yourself peace of mind. Look at it this way, she will be playing an important role in the takeover of Muzina. Giving you a stronger position in Timu's good graces? And what kind of role are you talking about? Solomon asked, not buying what the major was selling. Whatever role Timu's calls upon her to fulfill, Zor said. 
She could be in charge of the entire body of women who feeds the army or she can be a part of the negotiating committee that convinces the Queen of the Kingdom of Seoul to surrender. He might be right, Solomon thought to himself. Even though Deborah could not hold her wine and she turned into a crazy woman whenever she did drink, she still was a great organizer. Being that this trip will need the city's best organizers on hand it might be a good idea for Deborah to go. Moves like this would also give Solomon free reign to do few things in Deborah's absence. Things he would never attempt to do while she was around. Mainly because Deborah had a violent streak that Solomon knew he needed a break from. You know something Zor, I know you have a trick up the gold sleeve of yours, but it will be good to govern the city without any added distractions. Especially Deborah. Solomon swallowed hard and wiped his forehead with a napkin. He couldn't believe he just said that, and in front of Zor of all people, that's all I care about. As long as you have a clear head, things should remain stable around here, Zor said. Always the thinker, Solomon asked, what if she doesn't want to go? Zor patted the man on his back, and Solomon cringed as he thought the gold arm would break his shoulder blade. Solomon don't worry yourself with such minor details. She will go with the army, Zor said with an air full of confidence. Okay, I'll go and ask her. No Solomon. You go and tell her she's going with us regardless of how she feels, Zor said then stepped out of the man's way. It's all for the people of industry land. You make sure she understands that. Solomon nodded his head and ran off to go find his drunken wife. Zor sat back down and silently thought of the victory he just stole. Solomon had always been Zor's quiet competition, and Zor was finally tired of the who-can-impress Timu's better game. Zor knew Solomon was worthless in his physical form, but when it came to intelligence there was no question Solomon was one of the smartest governors in Musina. If Zor eliminated Solomon, or better yet if he eliminated himself, then Zor would be able to convince Miss to allow him to run the government, as well as lead the army. A vision he had been flirting with for some time now, inner chapter cut, the torches in the chamber crackled as Timus meditated with his eyes closed. He replayed the visions of the night's events in his mind to see if he missed anything. Whenever Timus found himself surrounded by his city officials and other underlinings at one of the many gatherings they held in industry land, afterwards he would retreat to his chamber and review. A tap on his door brought Timus back to the present. Enter. The door swung open and Nippoli strolled into the chamber. You requested me? You sang beautifully tonight, Timu said staring at her slender physique as Nippoli's caramel skin glistened under the dim lights. Thank you. From the distance, Timu's appeared to be in a more composed mood than usual, but Nippoli knew better. She made her way up to the throne reflecting on the many times she witnessed Timu's inflict his worst pain on people for the most minor offenses. Many times Nippoli tried to use her prowess of song and sexual persuasion to save people from Timu's rage. It worked many days and backfired on others. Nippoli was born in a small town that was invaded by the industry army, and she was taken with the rest of the women and children to be forced into a new life as a slave for the army. Slowly word began to spread that there was a young girl who possessed the voice of an angel, and Nippoli was forced to sing for the sound committee of Industryland. Nippoli wowed the committee and one day was summoned to sing at one of the Industryland festivals. A festival Timus was reluctantly attending, but once he heard the songstress's voice, he privately felt a surge of pleasure no one has ever given him. These were feelings Timus would never allow to be showcased to the general public, for fear of the people seeing their ruler having feelings like them under his murderous demeanor. 
Soon after the discovery of the beautiful songbird, Timus began ordering these private performances. Timus used these sessions as a tool that would allow him to meditate into a deeper zone. Nipoli on the other hand saw the private meetings as a gateway to use her prowess to persuade Timus to loosen up his grip on the population of industry land. If she couldn't get him to release some of the slaves, Nipoli felt she could at least get Timus to give the people better rights. A more relaxed people, can be a more productive people. Convincing Timus of this was not a hard task, being that the city's leader only cared about the advancement of his projects and the building of his new industry. I've been thinking on how you must join the army on our journey to the kingdom of Seoul, Timus threw out there to test Nipoli's reaction. I'm not a warrior. Why must I participate in a campaign, that I'm pretty sure will require me to be as brutal as the rest of the army? Because, you are the army's inspiration. With you as a part of the operation, the soldiers will perform at a higher level, Timu said. You give me too much credit, Nipoli said with a slight smile. That I do, but that doesn't mean you don't motivate the people of this city. Timu said without a smile. I always thought the ruler of the city was the motivator of this city, and not the songstress, Nipoli said. So it's settled. You will join us on our journey, he said, making the decision for her. Yes, Your Excellency, and what will be my duty to the army? Nipoli asked. It will be the same as it is here in Industryland. You are the voice that drives this city to continue on with its development towards a more harmonizing future. One that will be more fruitful once more of the people see my vision of success, Timu said in a low tone. And what makes you think the people don't believe in your visions of advancement? Nipoli asked. Nipoli, if the people believed, then I would not have to keep them in bondage, Timu said in a matter-of-fact tone. Nipoli saw an opening and decided to step through it. Well, you know if the people were given a choice, in a more negotiative capacity then it would be a more comparative society. Instead of, she stopped in mid-sentence and stared into Timu's red eyes. Timu's could feel her unwillingness to be honest with him because of the way he ruled his city. No one in industry land ever questioned Miss or his ways of rulership. If anyone did they would face an unimaginable wrath from Miss or a member of his army. But through the time they had spent together, Timus had grown to value Nipoli's opinion. Her insight on how to motivate the people was taken into account whenever Timus wanted things to move in a more productive atmosphere. Especially at a time like this. Go on, Timus encouraged her. Tell me what you need to say Nipoli. How is the state of industry land viewed in the eyes of the people? Nipoli shifted her weight from one foot to the next, then looked down at her bronze feet. I think the people feel. They believe that no matter how much of your vision they accomplish for you, they will never be free to live in a land they can call their own. Industry land is their home, Timuz said. But not by choice and you know this Timuz, Nipoli said with her eyes full of sorrow. Everyone in Muzina is not capable of making choices on their own, Timuz said in a flat tone. You are right Your Excellency, but will the people ever have a voice in Musina? Nipoli asked, almost pleading with him, Timus thought about this. He had been ruling with an iron fist for so long that he didn't know how it would feel to be more empathetic to the people's wants or needs. I will be able to answer that after we secure the Kingdom of Seoul. Nipoli felt defeated. She thought he was going to open up and finally embrace the thought of letting the people function a little more freely. Maybe even establish a new state for some of the loyalist and hardest working slaves. A place that would give them some hope. 
the people would want nothing more than a chance to work toward a future, and taste of independence at their end of the tunnel. Timus knew this, Nipoli reasoned with herself. But he was a tyrant, who would never be satisfied enough to let the people walk Nizina on their own. Timus fed off of the people's misery and he looked forward to capturing their souls. He has to see the passion in my eyes, Nipoli told herself. He knows how much she has the people's best interest at heart, and he showed no mercy as she presented her feelings in the people's name. Then he coldly closed the door on her when he was done listening. Now sing to me, Timu said in his dark voice. Nipoli let her argument rest as she closed her eyes and started off her ballad in a low hum that built itself up into a verse of deep words. Oh share, oh share, it's my gift to you, let me take your fear, give you strength so you can rule, it's industrious sealed with a kiss, no one love the lust, I picture one day they'll have love for us, a love we can trust. Inner chapter cut part 2. The holding cell keys rattled causing the dungeon to suddenly go silent. All right ladies. Tonight is your lucky night, the guard said as he stepped out into the open. He was the first person to appear in hours and the women down in the industry land dungeon were not too enthused to see him. Queen Talia had watched the dungeon population shrink in the last few days, which gave her a small sense of relief. Whenever one of her cellmates was released out into the city it felt like a moment of freedom for all of the prisoners. What worried Queen Talia is what were the women being released into? Would one of the townspeople take her in? Are the women shipped off to another place far worse than the one they are released from? Many unanswered questions ran through Talia's head as she tried to keep up her cellmate's spirits. She knew opportunity would come knocking, and she wanted you women to be ready. Positive energy was contagious, and by showing the others she believed they would make it out of there alive was the motivation they would need to remain strong in the dungeon. Every woman in the six holding cells began to crowd the cell bars, as a group of women, flanked by armed guards, swarmed the dungeon carrying trays of food like they were waitresses. Conversations began to erupt in every direction as some of the women carrying the food were noticed by their country women who they left down in the dungeon. Tap. 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 All right ladies, calm down. Calm down. I know you're hungry. That doesn't mean you have the right to ask your feeders what's the weather out there, the short, rotten tooth guard snapped as he opened up the first cell. The caged women were so happy to see familiar faces that they ignored the guard and continued on with their barrage of questions. Did you see Harry? How is it out there? Did you see the children? Will you come back and feed us again? Do the men know we're down here? Some dug into the platters of roast pig, smoked turkey, sweet cakes, sour bread and fruits, while the others continued on with their onslaught of questions. Why are they serving us so much food? Talia asked one of the recently freed women. Della stepped closer to the bars and said, they're having some type of going away festival. They say the industry army is going to forge an assault on the kingdom of Seoul. Oh no, Nar said, as she stepped up next to Talia with a sweet cake in her hand. When are they leaving? Talia asked. Within the next coming days and I think we're going to be forced to go along, Della said. Then she looked over her shoulder to make sure the guards weren't watching her. Well, if they do take you, make sure you tell the women of Pakistan I said to remain strong and don't give up hope, Talia said. Then she leaned in closer to the bars and said, and if they get the chance to run, take it. Della looked into the eyes of her imprisoned queen and felt the true embrace of a leader who was willing to put the happiness of her people before her own. 
At that moment, Della knew if she got the opportunity to free her queen, she would. Della's conscience would never let her rest knowing that she left such a loving, caring, and compassionate leader behind without attempting to free her if she had the chance. We won't leave you Talia, Della said with a tear hanging on the corner of her eye. Yes you will, Talia forcefully said in a suppressed tone. You must save yourselves, and the children of Pakasound. You understand? All right ladies, visit is over. Let's go. The rotten tooth guard barked at them, as he and his partners began to push the tray carriers out of the dungeon. We will not leave you my queen, Della said before one of the guards took hold of her arm. You heard the man. Let's go. Please, do as I say, Talia helplessly said, as cries rang out in the dungeon. Women began to sob and shout plea, while others stood by silently and watched their friends get forcefully hustled out of the dungeon. Do you think they're going to take us on the trip too? Nar asked Talia once they were back in the corner of their cell. Talia slowly chewed on a piece of turkey. I doubt it Nar. I think if they were, they would have released us from down here already. So what do you think is going to happen to us? Nar asked with her eyes full of uncertainty. I don't know, but I do know if the majority of the industry army is going on this trip to do battle with the Kingdom of Seoul, then there won't be as many guards here patrolling the city, Talia said, as she gave voice to her thoughts out into the open. Will that be when we'll make our move? Nar asked, feeling a surge of energy flow through her body. Yes, so everyone must be ready, Talia firmly stated before she took a bit of some sour bread. Don't worry my queen. We will be ready. Nar assured her, then faded off into her own thoughts of escape and happiness on the other side of industry land. Hey everyone, it's Author Everlast. I want to thank you for listening to Let Me Tell Your Story podcast. Tune in for the next episode. God bless and be safe.